विष्णुपाद परमहंस Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. 
श्री चैतन्य मनोविस्तम स्थापितम जैन भूतले स्वायाम रूपा कदमायाम तदातीत स्वा पदंतिकम वन विल श्रील रूपा गोस्वामी प्रभुपाद who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa tarubhyasya kripa sindhubhyevacha patitanam pavanevyo vaishnavevyo namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. जय श्री कृष्ण चैतन्य प्रभु नित्यानंद श्री द्वैत गदाधार श्रीवासादि गौरभक्तवृंद आई ऑफर माई रिस्पेक्टफुल ओबेसेंसेज अंटू श्री चैतन्य महाप्रभु लॉर्ड नित्यानंद श्री अद्वैत गदाधार पंडित श्रीवास ठाकुर इन ऑल द डिवोरीज ऑफ लॉर्ड चैतन्य हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे सिटे इज ट्यूजडे मार्च Thirtieth, twenty twenty-one, and we are reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto One, Creation, Chapter Six, Conversation Between Narada and Vyasadev, Text Twenty-Eight. Prayujyamane maitam, sudham bhagavatim tanam. प्रयुजमाने शुदम भागवती तनु प्रयुजमाने सुधाम भगवती तनु कर्म निर्वाणो प्रयुजमाने हैविंग बीन अवॉर्डेड माई ऑन मी तम दैट शुदम ट्रांसडेंटल भगवती फिट फॉर एसोसिएटिंग विद द पर्सनैलिटी ऑफ गॉड हेड Tanum, body, arabdha, acquired, karma, fruit of work, nirvana, prohibitive, 
Napatat quit. Pancha Bhotika, body made of five material elements. Translation by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Having been awarded a transcendental body befitting an associate of the personality of Godhead, I quit the body made of five material elements, and thus all acquired fruit of results of work, karma, stopped. Purport. Informed by the personality of Godhead that he would be awarded a transcendental body befitting the Lord's association, Narada got his spiritual body as soon as he quit his material body. This transcendental body is free from material affinity and invested with three primary transcendental qualities, namely eternity, freedom from material modes, and freedom from reactions of fruit of activities. The material body is always afflicted with the lack of these three qualities. A devotee's body becomes at once surcharged with the transcendental qualities as soon as they are engaged in the devotional service of the Lord. It acts like the magnetic influence of a touchstone upon iron. The influence of transcendental devotional service is like that. Therefore, change of the body means stoppage of the reaction of three qualitative modes of material nature upon the pure devotee. There are many instances of this in the revealed scriptures. Dhruva Maharaj and Prahlad Maharaj and many other devotees were able to see the personality of Godhead face-to-face, apparently, in the same body. This means that the quality of a devotee's body changes from material to transcendence. That is the opinion of the authorized Goswamis via the authentic scriptures. In the Brahma Samhita, it is said that beginning from the Indra Gopa germ up to the great Indra, king of heaven, all living beings are subjected to the law of karma and are bound to suffer and enjoy the fruit of results of their own work. Only the devotees exempt from such reactions by the causeless mercy of the supreme authority, the personality of Godhead. Pretty intense uh, verse and purport. So today we'll discuss you know, what it means to be free from the modes of material nature, free from karma, and... How to achieve a transcendental body. So Srila Prabhupada states that the transcendental body is, he, he says that it's, uh, trans, it's, first of all, it's transcendental. So it's eternal. That's one of the big qualities of it, right? It's free from material affinity, and it's invested with three primary transcendental qualities. Eternity, freedom from the material modes, and freedom from reactions of fruit of activities. And in, in the purport, he further says that the material body is the opposite. Right? So the, the material body is temporary, and it's bound by the material modes, and it's bound to the reactions of fruit of activities. So if we look in the Bhagavad Gita, we can learn more about what that means to be bound by the material modes. In Bhagavad Gita 3.5, Krishna says, everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities they've acquired from the modes of material nature. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something, not even for a moment. So at any given time, we are, we are bound. We, we're forced to act, regardless of whether or not we want to, regardless of how we want to act. We're forced to act according to these modes of material nature. 
And in 3.29, Krishna says, bewildered by the modes of material nature. The ignorant fully engage themselves in material activities and become attached. So we're forced to act by these material nature, but we're also bewildered by it. So the modes of material nature, does anybody remember what they are? Mode of ignorance. Mode of passion. Mode of goodness. So all of these can bewilder a person. And it's easy to see how we can be bound and bewildered by the mode of ignorance. Um, you know, when we're bound by the mode of ignorance, we kind of don't know what's what. You know, there's so many descriptions of that. But it really, it's we're bound to madness, indolence, sleep, inactivity, just kind of like, think of like a couch potato, right? That could be the representative of the mode of ignorance. Um, Passion, we're bound by passion. You know, that's where we get our ambition, we get our desires, our greed, lust, anger. In Bhagavad Gita 14, chapter 14, it says, binds one to unlimited desires and longings and to material fruit of actions. And then the mode of goodness, because we think that this is, the mode of goodness is something we want to aspire to, right? Like it's, you know, it's knowledge, it's living righteously, it's um, the qualities of being non-attached to the results of our work, it's you know, being equanimous, treating everyone as equals, friend, foe, there is no difference. But the mode of goodness is also binding. Because um, we can enjoy the results of our work, right? Even though we're supposed to be non-attached, we can kind of enjoy that happiness of non-attachment. Um, and we can be conditioned by this sense of happiness and knowledge, so we kind of constantly pursue it. And happiness and knowledge are not bad in and of, of itself. It's kind of very like high pursuits, right? But it's where it's coming from. How do we tie it into what's going, you know, what's real, what's the truth? And the truth, the absolute truth, is Krishna. So when we can tie our knowledge and happiness to Krishna, then it becomes, it transcends the mode of goodness and it becomes transcendental. And we're always engaged in one of these three modes. In Bhagavad Gita 14.10, it says, Sometimes the mode of goodness becomes prominent, defeating the modes of passion and ignorance. Sometimes the mode of passion defeats goodness and ignorance. And at other times, ignorance defeats goodness and passion. In this way, there is always competition for supremacy. So as long as we're bound by the material modes, you know, we can always be brought back into the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion, even if we're in the mode of goodness. So we're always kind of subjected to these, the whims of these material modes and what's going on. And it's really easy. I mean, I've kind of said this a few times, um, example already, but it's such a prominent example where, you know, I'm sitting there in the freezing cold and there's no heater and it's so miserable. And that moment is so easy to fall into that darkness of ignorance of being like oh this is happening to me and oh what you know it's such I'm suffering and I'm the only one and you know just kind of feeling sorry for myself 
And that really does put you in the mode of ignorance. And it happens just like that. And I feel like on some level it happened because I was thinking, you know, goodness, I mean, um, happiness, distress, you know, honor, dishonor. Yeah, yeah, that really, I, I can kind of like take it or leave it, right? Like happiness and distress, it's what we make of it. And honor and dishonor, you know, it's like you do your you do your duty, you do your best. Pe- people are going to say what they're going to say. Um, haters are going to hate, you know. Uh, fans are going to be grateful, whatever it is, right? But hot and cold, and even hot, not a big deal for me. You know, I, I think I mentioned this before. A few years ago, we had that power outage during the dead of summer. I think it was like five or six days, four or five days, and there was no... There's no electricity. And as much as I hate to admit this, the, the hard, biggest hardship for me was the fact that there was no streaming Netflix, which isn't really much of a hardship, right? So, yeah, you know, there was some inconvenience, but, uh, you know, the, the roads weren't iced over, so I could always drive to the grocery store if I needed to cool off. And I needed to go every day because my refrigerator wasn't working, so I had to go and get fresh food almost daily. And we weren't in a pandemic, so there wasn't this idea of, you know, being stuck in one place or stuck in your home and not being able to go to someone else's house to charge stuff up. Um, so this time was quite different when we didn't have power. And the cold was really, it was very test, it was very, te- it's a big test for me, right? It was, uh, very trying. So in that moment, no matter how much I've tried to live in the mode of goodness in that moment, the mode of passion, a mode of ignorance really did take over. And it took a lot for me to come up out of that. And it's, we see that, in, that kind of concept in so many things, especially when we're talking about building habits. And this is something that I deal with a lot as, you know, one of my big um, purposes in life is to help empower people to live healthy lifestyle. Well, that comes down to the habits we have every single day. And the habits we have every single day can determine our health and wellness and, you know, just how we are during the day. And it's so, it takes a long time to establish a good habit. You know, they say 21 days you do something and you establish that habit. Um, Really, it's something like six, like 21 days gets you in the habit, like, kind of in there, but once you do it for six months, you no longer think about it. It's second nature. So it takes six months to do that, but it doesn't take six months or even 21 days to keep up a bad habit. Like, it just takes a second, right? Like, you just, you lose your guard for one second. I lose my guard for one second. I don't work out. I don't exercise or whatever. It's so hard to get back into that Routine, even if I've been doing it for months and months. Um, you know, when you eat healthy, it's so easy to fall off of that wagon and, you know, binge on cake or whatever it is that you like to do. And it takes a long time to get back on the habit of cutting out the sugar, cutting out the flour, things like that. So, uh, you know, in regard to the modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance, we have to be so vigilant at all times to make sure that we're, we're staying in that mode of um, 
goodness, and then in the transcendental mode, which is even beyond that, right? Like really tying all our happiness and knowledge to Krishna, which is eternal, who is eternal. Um, and we see that, in, you know, the scripture has great examples of like Bharat Maharaj, you know, he was such an exemplary devotee and king, and he goes and retires as he's supposed to, as, you know, as his, once you reach a certain age, you retire from your job, you retire from um, public life in his case, and from his kids, so he went to the forest, and somehow or another he became a caretaker for this um, baby deer and became so attached to this deer. And so that let in that just a little bit of attachment that he just kept thinking about this deer all, you know, the whole time. And then when he died, he was thinking about the deer. So he came back as a deer. And, you know, really the moral of that story is we have to guard our thoughts and our um attachment so carefully you know he was able to leave his family his sons his wife behind but yet became so attached to a deer and so really it's um i've heard it said stand guard at the door of your mind so we always want to be very careful as to what we're feeding our mind um you know as again since health is one of my big things i'm always um advocating what we feed our body right like we want to feed it lots of vegetables and fruits and stay away from the sugar and the junk food and you know that kind of puts more of a toll on our body but it's the same concept of what we're feeding our mind we want to feed it very nourishing nutritive um materials right things that are going to uplift us and get us in touch with who we are which is who is servants of krishna and you know, etern- beings of eternal bliss, knowledge, and, um, yeah. And so really that's where we want to stand guard. You know, we don't, we want to be very careful as to what junk we're feeding our mind and what we're allowing that to, um, penetrate into our subconscious. Because then our subconscious then dictates our actions and behaviors and thoughts, right? It's that, little like we call it the devil like some people like to call it the devil but it's really our own mind that says oh well you know maybe you don't need a chant today and this that you know maybe you don't have to offer this food and you know you can just eat it and you don't have to eat prashadam or maybe you can skip reading today it's not so important so we have to watch what we're putting because when we feed our mind that voice can get stronger um but if we're feeding our mind you know with chanting then that voice that says oh yes this feels good let's continue doing this this is good for us right that voice gets stronger so we want to feed that voice that's actually going to uplift us by feeding the mind the, the stuff that it really needs which is um pertaining to krishna the second part of the verse that we talk about is being freed from fruit of activities, from karma. So going on in um, Bhagavad Gita 3.9, Krishna says, Work done as a sacrifice for Vishnu has to be performed 
Otherwise, work causes bondage in this material world. Therefore, O son of Quinty, perform your prescribed duties for his satisfaction, and in that way you will always remain free from bondage. This is another one of those instructional verses, right? Krishna's specifically telling Krishna, you do this, perform your prescribed duties, um, but remain non-attached, right? So this is how we can become free from karma, is we do our duty, but we don't get attached to the results. We're not so like, okay, is it, am I going to win? Am I going to, um, you know, is this going to be successful? And I was thinking about this the other day, too, that success, you know, sometimes we're so focused on getting there, getting that success, that we don't see all the things that got us there, right? So if I ask you, what is the definition of success? What does success mean for you? Does anyone want to answer? Perfect. So um, the answer is to become purified, to be engaged in pure devotional service, and to leave the material world. And so let's say on this journey, you don't quite get there. Does that mean that you didn't achieve success? No, because it's a gradual process. No, because it's a gradual process, exactly. So for people like me, right, like there's a certain type of personality of people that end up becoming doctors, going through med school, type A personalities, the perfectionists. It's so hard to, to see that success can show up in so many ways because we're, we're conditioned to think success is achieving what we set out to do. But at the same time, there's so much that we learn on that way of achievement. So in this lifetime, if we don't you know, achieve that liberation, that pure love of Krishna and become pure devotional, does it mean that all the chanting and the reading and the kirtans is wasted? It doesn't. You know, Krishna says he preserves what we have and carries what we lack. And we either pick up from where we left off or we, you know, he, he fills in the gap for us. So really it's about taking that moment and taking the time to see that success can show up even as failures. Right? Sometimes we learn from things that didn't work and say, okay, I can regroup and learn from what I did, what didn't work and get, and that's another step on the way towards success. So for, like I said, for people like me, it's really like having to look at the journey instead of the destination. It's a reframing of everything, really, right? So, um, that's one way of becoming non-attached because I can get so focused on the the destination, the, the achievement, the goal, that I don't see all the things that have been along the way or because you know, none of that matters. I have to get that one thing. And so you become so attached to it. And I've also learned that when I am not so attached to the results or I do my duty and say, okay, whatever comes, comes, things happen and Krishna put, arranges it in such a way that it's, like, a hundred thousand times better than I could have ever imagined it. I remember specifically, like, 
when I um, had approached Giraj Swami to get second in- initiation, um, you know, he gave me some instructions on what to do for that. And, you know, there was all this, of course, I had all this doubt in my mind, which I've shared before, but um, that's a story for another time. But, yeah, I had all this doubt in my mind, and so that got cleared up. And and then I was, like, so ready to get second initiation. And he held this big initiation here that year, it was 2011, um, Memorial Day weekend. And I didn't get second initiation that weekend. And I was just, like, heartbroken and crying, like, the entire ceremony because I just felt like I should have been up there, like, you know. But what Krishna arranged and Gurudev, my spiritual master, small Krishna Goswami, arranged was, like, a 100,000 times more magical than if I had taken initiation on Memorial Day weekend. And it was on Balram's appearance day, which has always been a special festival for me. Um, and during Memorial Day weekend, there was like so many people getting initiated first and second. And it was a joint with Indra Swami that weekend. So there was that. And then the, when I got first, when I got second initiation, there was only like two other people. And it just, it felt like it was meant to be that way. And like I said, there's so many magical things about it, but I'll say one thing, that that was the hottest summer that we've had in, like, forever. I think 1989 or something like that, 88, was, like, the hottest summer prior to that. And we had had, like, 98 days or something. We were about to break the record of the hottest streak of having a hundred of over hundred degrees, and that morning, which is a Saturday morning, it was Balran's parents' day. I woke up to the sound of thunder, and it had, it was raining for the first time in like over three months. The temperature had cooled down to like mid nineties, you know, for the first time in like I don't know two and a half months. We are you know it was lower, and rain. I mean. During a hot summer drought, and we have rain, so auspicious, right? Like, I remember such details about this day that I don't know if I would remember those same level of details if I'd gotten initiated Memorial Day weekend, because this was the day that was meant to be for my second initiation. And the other beautiful thing about that, you know, during that it happened in the morning. And then we had the rest of the festival for Balaram's Appearance Day, which was like the Abhishek. And I got to go on the altar like immediately after receiving second initiation and doing Abhishek on Krishna Balaram deities. And it was so sweet that when I um, was back there in the Pujaya room and Chandravali was showing me how to chant Achman to purify myself, Giraj Maharaj had come down from the, temp- the altar at that moment, saw that I was learning. He went back up on the altar so that he could be there for the first time that I was on the altar. And I was like, oh, that was just absolutely magical, right? And I could never have planned a day like that, you know? And so when you let go of the, the results, Krishna will bring so much more. And... In this verse, it says, you know, 
Narada Muni had a transcendental body that became free of um, the material modes and fruit of actions. But we also see that we can become free from the fruit of actions and material modes and receive a transcendental body. So it's not like it has to be in that order. We see many times that it can be in different orders. As a matter of fact, I think all of chapter 4 in the Bhagavad Gita is just describing the different ways in which we can achieve you know, true love for Krishna. And we can do that through you know, yagna, sacrifice, um, through knowledge, through um, devotion, which is the highest. So it's, it's really kind of um, a circular thing. So the easiest for us is to start doing devotional practices, right? So in 441, it says, one who acts in devotional service, renouncing the fruits of their actions, and whose doubts have been destroyed by transcendental knowledge, is situated factually in the self. Thus, they are not bound by reactions of work, O conqueror of riches. So, and then in 317.18, it says, one who takes pleasure in the self, whose human life is one of self-realization, and who's satisfied in the self only, fully satiated, for them there is no duty. A self-realized person has no purpose to fulfill in the discharge of the, their prescribed duties, nor have they any reason not to perform such work, nor have they any need to depend on any other living being. So we can see as we become more self-realized that we don't have the need for doing any of this. We do it because it sets the example, it gives us, you know, it's a way to engage in that devotional service. It, it guards our mind so that we don't fall back down. If we sat around and did nothing, our mind can sometimes take over. Um, so really, it's about how do we you know, get into that cycle? How do we penetrate that cycle? What's the secret? And Prabhupada has given us everything that we need, right? And built the temple so that we can have association that we can gather um, and we can continue to have each other's association. In the purport, Prabhupada says, uh, um, let's see, a devotee's body changes from material to transcendent. So if we're around other devo- de- devotees whose bodies are transforming, then, you know, it's like that touchstone will also start to transform and we become like who we hang out with. Um, you know, this is uh, in one of Tamal Krishna Goswami's lectures, he says, when the body and mind are like the soul, you will be shining like gold and your mind will be full of joy. So how do we get the mind and the body to be like the soul? And like I said, Prabhupada has given us the blueprint. He's given us exactly what we need to do to have our body and mind become like the soul. And the big thing really is chanting, japa, association, prasadam, reading, um, kirtan. And all of these things are really fun. Like, how much fun did we have on Sunday associating kirtan you know, being with each other. I I um, joined online because I'm still a little finding my footage, you know, footing as to how many crowds of people that I feel comfortable in. Um, but yeah, it, it's still a magical thing, right? Prabhupada set this up for us. 
reading, you know, at the end of the day, when we have no other association, we still have Krishna. Krishna is always there for us. And so one of the ways we can meditate on Krishna is to see how he, he is in our life in so many different ways. And he can show up, you know, as a um, beautiful cowherd boy, you know, deity form. He can show up in his um, mantra form, right? The Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. He can show up in kirtan. He can show up while we're reading. As we're reading and we're glorifying Krishna's pastimes, by reading them, we glorify them. He shows up there. Like he's there when we're reading. He's there all the time. We just have to take notice. And the moment we take notice and see him, like really see him, then our body becomes shining like gold. So the important thing is to be on this path, somewhere on this path. Right? We talked about success is fully liberated, fully you know, engaged in devotional service. But even just contemplating doing that puts us on the path. And if we're not contemplating, we want to, con- you know, we want to desire to have the desire. And if we don't have the desire, we want to have the desire to have the desire to have. The- we want to be somewhere on this ladder, and you know, come to Krishna with the pure heart, like Krishna, I, like that George Harrison song. I really want to see you, right? and he'll present himself in so many different ways. And Prabhupada says, "But will you have the eyes to see?" So we have to also pray that not only do I want to see you, but I want to have that openness that I can see you. Because he's there all the time, right? And so we just have to take note. And chanting japa is a powerful way to do that, to associate with Krishna, to see him in our in our lives, in our presence. So what questions do you have? So there's a lot there. Let me see if I can remember a lot of what you said. Um, so first you mentioned that you were thinking about Queen Kunti and how she um, had all this calamity her way, but she was always grateful to Krishna for it because it allowed her to remember Krishna. And then you asked about what's free will and what's um, Krishna's arrangement. So for about Queen Kunti's, uh, let me ant- like address that a little bit. I agree, that's a very intense, powerful prayer that she has, right? Because not only does she pray to say, I'm thankful for this calamity, she says, bring on more, right? And I- I've come to the point where I can say, okay, thank you for this hardship. I see the lessons that I've learned. But I'm not at the point where I can say, bring on more, right? Like... I've learned it, Krishna, please, no more, right? That's that's kind of the mood that I'm in. <laughs> um, and then what's Krishna's mercy and what's free will is, the best analogy I can give is traffic and your reaction to traffic. Right? Traffic is there, right? You can get traffic. Driving and traffic. Right, yeah. So traffic is there. You can get angry about it. You can shout. You can cut people off. You can, you know, 
do all this stuff, but traffic is still going to be there. Or you can be calm and be like, mm, listen to my music, I'll get there when I get there, and there's nothing I can do about this traffic, and, you know, kind of make the most out of that moment. So at any given moment, we always get to decide how we're going to react to something, what we're going to do about it, what attitude we're going to take towards it. We don't always get to decide what's happening. I didn't get to decide that the cold weather wasn't going to happen. I didn't get to have any decision about my power not turning off. That was somebody else making that decision, you know, sitting up there on their, wherever they were, making, you know, choosing which grids get their power off. And there was a moment where I was like, I, this is not fair and I can't take this, but what is what good was that going to do, right? And And really, it was that moment that I came to, you know what, this is what it is. Let's take a moment. Let's see what we can we can be grateful for in this moment, right? I have a house. I'm inside the house. At least I'm not outside. You know, I have the shelter from the wind. Um, I have clothes that are keeping me warm. You know, a few years ago, I was really affected by reading this story, so horrible, about um, this child of like eight or nine years old and. She was adopted from a foreign country, but the family that had adopted her was very strict and disciplined. And so since she didn't behave the way she was meant to behave, they would put her outside. And it was freezing cold outside. And she basically died from exposure and starvation because the people that were supposed to protect her did not protect her. And, you know, like... I was thinking about that story, and when I read that story the first time, it really affected me. Um, And so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, it could be so much worse. Krishna's protecting me in this moment, and, you know, like being thankful for it in that moment. Um, So that's about that. And then you said about balancing work and life, and how do you have that in like how is that your how do you maintain your spiritual practices with work and life so for me personally um when i was working because i'm not currently working in that sense you know it's a combination of things like um there's so many parts of health Right? There's like the mental health, there's the physical health, there's spiritual health. And we know that the physical health, parts of the physical health, I mean, all of these, if we live in such a way that's going to improve our health, we come to the mode of goodness. So I, I look at it as at least I'm, I'm working on bringing up people to the mode of goodness. You know, no meat, fish, or eggs, no intoxications, um, you know, Gambling affects the mind and kind of looking for that something for nothing mentality where it's, that's an entitlement mentality and the gratitude mentality is the opposite of that. Um, you know, uh, staying, keeping our bodies safe, you know, no illicit sex. But even beyond that, like eating healthy, right? So it's not just no meat, fish, or eggs, but it's eating in a way that helps maintain our body so that we can do our services. So that was one way that I look at it. And then the other is, you know, whatever money you make, you can donate 
you know, at least a 10% tithe. Um, so that was another way. But more recently, I've looked at how do I integrate all of this, right? Like, bring in spirituality. There's no reason to keep it separate, integrate it all. And, um, you know, looking at other successful people that in the realm of health that have brought in faith and seeing how they're doing it and and keeping things for a general audience that everybody can kind of relate to because at the end of the day god is god you know we call him krishna someone else calls him something else but he's still krishna he's still god you know so how can we all relate to each other on that level so that's how i do it personally um, you know, when I was working, my rounds weren't always the best, but I worked hard to try to chant my rounds in the morning. Um, I would put challenges on myself, like, okay, we're going to go through two weeks of not chanting on the clicker, but always chanting on the beads. Um, so clickers, counters that sometimes people use as a way to chant to keep track of how much you're chanting and it's one way to make sure that you have the number but it's not necessarily quality so then it would be like okay i'll make sure that i chant at least you know four rounds with no distractions you know and then there were times where i had to like i really had to delve in deeper because my work was super stressful so you know, Krishna puts these challenges so that we turn to him, and I basically had no choice but to turn to him because it was so stressful. So, you know, like at times, even though I'm living here in the middle of the community, at times chanting Japa and the deities were my only association um, because my work was that strenuous throughout the day. So, does that answer your question? Yeah, it's, it's, um, so, uh, the comment here is that, you know, um, based on the verse that said that we're bewildered by the modes of nature, and because of this bewilderment, we don't turn to, or we don't, uh, accept the existence of Krishna. We can become atheist or not fully believe and have doubt. So Krishna takes just that as, he just looks for one little, like, one little hint of us saying, there's got to be more than this, you know, right? Just one, and then he showers the mercy towards us, right? He might arrange it that we're on the street where the Sankirtan party of devotees are singing Hare Krishna, and that even more opens up something in our heart, like, there's more to life than this. Um, whatever it is, in that moment where we're like, you know, even if we don't believe fully, we're not, and we're not atheists. We, when we, that moment we turn and say, "God, please save me," right, with open heart, fully like arms extended, Krishna like takes that as full surrender. So he showers mercy, right? Like we take one step towards him, and he takes ten steps towards us. So there's that mercy component of it that can cut through the bewilderment and help put us on the path of that enlightenment. The other part is, you know, it's it's kind of a... Because like I said, I do a lot of personal development. And a lot of personal development is about responsibility, personal responsibility. 
the problem with it is that it's separate from faith. Some people will bring them in together, but they still don't make the connection because I was listening to a, um, a preacher talk the other day, and he was saying, like, you know, everything he was saying was great, and then he's like, but then the devil makes us do And I was like, the devil doesn't make us do anything. The devil, you know, if you want to call it the devil, is there to test our faith, to tempt us. But we're not forced to fall into that temptation. It's our own desires and longings that put us in that spot. That In that moment, we can be in the mode of goodness like Bar- like. Bharat Maharaj, right? He was in that, like, almost even transcendental mode. He was in one of the highest stages of... Yeah. So, you know, I think what's higher than Bhava Platform is Prema Platform, right? Like, not much else above Bhava Platform. So, he fell down just from, like, there was probably just a hint of some type of longing or desire that the deer fulfilled. Or he thought he could find fulfillment from the deer. So that's that's what we would consider to be the devil, right? But in some way, some ways, the devil is Maya. She's there to test, to make sure that we are ready for to to have this transcendental qualities, to be have the same qualities as Krishna, and to be in the spiritual world. So. It's it's they, there's a lot of people that have got it like almost there, but then they they lose that personal responsibility on that platform. So you know it's it's coming along. I mean I've I've met a lot more people of different faiths that are falling into this you know non-attachment, being um, taking responsibility that I did this or I'm you know. Um, I'm responsible for this in the sense of I can see how my actions led to this consequence. Um, And changing that uh, process by entering into gratitude, right? And um, acknowledging where, and this is going back to your question, acknowledging where those gifts came from. So, like, for me personally, like, I have gift of gab to so to speak right like I'm comfortable speaking in front of an audience and I have the knowledge and training that I've had as a doctor but I also have had a lot of you know I've been reading and I'm not like I'm going to say like I know so much but I know enough that I can give a class right but I can also bring this information to people that are outside of um, ISKCON that might have faith and devotion in other ways so you know, on the one hand, I can be like, oh, my God, I'm so great. Like, I can talk, and, you know, I, I'm comfortable. But at the other hand, it's like, Krishna has gifted me this so that I can serve him better, right? So that's also, I see in a lot, and I was just listening last night to um, this uh, really good speaker. She was talking about this very concept of, you know, sometimes we deny what we're good at because we're afraid of being seen as um, arrogant or boastful or seeking fame or glory. We're at the same, t- and we could be, but if we're doing it for a higher purpose, 
then, you know, it's acknowledging those gifts that, that Krishna, our God, has given us by using them in his service. So that's the other part of it is, is taking personal responsibility, but also seeing that Krishna is responsible for everything ultimately, and what we're responsible for is our actions and our consequences. So, you know, like if I get angry and I punch a wall, right, and then I like break my knuckles, get that boxer fracture, and I can be like, man, why did this happen to me? Why did I have to break? Like, but it's obvious that it was my anger that led to poor action, right? I let the anger control me. So it's that same thing. Like, you know, somebody might do that and be like, wow, I can't believe God made me break my hand and you know that's losing that personal responsibility I don't know if that I don't know if you had a question but I don't know if that addressed it so I don't know if you had a question but I don't know if that yeah it's true I gave a class last year um, it's probably still on SoundCloud about Narada Muni and who he is and you know like growing up um, somewhat Hindu the thoughts you have about Narada Muni and in some ways Narada Muni is seen as the devil right like he's the one that put into place you know he's the one that tells Kamsa about um, so it's kind of like the instigator right like right exactly but people sometimes when they're looking at it they don't see that part of it they're like well why did he have to go and tell and like you know, he's always playing both sides against each other. Like, he'll go to the demigods and reveal the devil, the demons, what they're doing. And he'll go to the demons and tell them what the demigods are doing. But everything he does is to bring Krishna to everyone. So. But they, can, they also have that ability to see, it's like, they're excellent chess, like they're master chess players. Like, they can see several moves ahead. Whereas someone like me, I may see like two or three actions, but then you don't see the larger consequence, the, the so-called like butterfly wings concept, right? Just serving Krishna in our capacity, right? So, all right. Well, we're way past time now. Darantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Okay.